everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. My name is Darren Calhoun, pronouns he, him, and you are joining us with our co-hosts. Say hi, Stacy. Hey. And then there's Sarah. Hey, everyone. And back with us again is Kevin. Hey, hey, hey. We did miss you. I know you weren't sure if we missed you or not, but we missed you. I, I was not. I was not <laughs> sure if you missed me or not. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, Kevin. Kevin's voice matters here too. Um, we are on the podcast, and and this month of June, we've been talking about speaking up, speaking up, and speaking out. Um, specifically, listening to the voices of queer people, um, and when possible, people of color, uh, to just get perspectives on what their lives are like, what what's happening with them in church, and so forth. And on today's episode, we're just uh, just kind of thinking through different things that have come up for us this month. Um, so this this episode's a little more freewheeling and, and casual and laid back, um, but we're going to hop in. Uh, we already started recording, so we're going to hop into a conversation about what it means to queer theology and to queer the gospel and to, to look at things that maybe have been accepted from a certain lens, whether there are history stories or whether they are the ways that we interpret scripture, and to listen to theology from below, to listen to people who've normally been left out, and to ask fresh questions and to seek fresh perspectives. So take a listen to this conversation that we had and uh, enjoy. If we go back for a second, um, we started thinking about the ways that queerness shows up, and queerness is this idea that there are other ways to do something that we've considered normal or basic or natural or whatever. Um, and when queerness shows up, it causes us to ask this question uh, to say, is that really the way it goes? So for so, so, for so many people, for example, complementary theology says that, oh, men are the leaders, women need to be supporters of men. And for so many generations, People assumed, oh, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way church structure should be. But as people began to really question, wait, when, you know, we say this is what it says in Genesis, but if you look at it, there's not gendered language at first in Genesis. And gender actually doesn't come till later in the creation narrative. And then for us to, to start thinking about, oh, wait, like, if, if this if this binary gender construct came later than the initial part of creation, where did it come from that we say, oh, men should do this and women should not do that? And do we really need to do that to be faithful to God and to faithful to scripture? Or is that just some stuff that people were like, oh, well, this is our custom and this is our tradition. Um, and once we unpack a little bit of that, I feel like there's the opportunity for us to start thinking a little bit outside of the box and going, oh, well, maybe men and women and people can lead equally. And it's not so much about what gender they were assigned or at birth. It's not so much about what genitals they have and to qualify them for leadership. And so we end up querying this idea of gender really being essential to one's interpretation. <laughs> And from there, I feel like we get we get us this big opportunity to start unpacking and the, to looking with fresh eyes at what does it mean for men in the Bible to to do things like have uh, have female leadership. You know, like Jesus had some some leaders that would not have been leaders according to the day. Um, has anybody heard of uh, the Apostle Junia? Junia? Yeah. Junia? Mm -hmm. Ke Kevin, of course, Kevin knows all this. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we rely on, on Kevin because, you know, you're the you're the learned one for something. Okay. <laughs> you say for some things. I, I said or something. But oh. um, <laughs> but that that's a case where some have said that we changed the gender of that person to male just so we could keep the idea that only men could be leaders mm -hmm. and junior or june was it junior 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 very very likely could have been a woman 
and an apostle. Mm-hmm. Can you y'all unpack that? that? Right? Had you heard that before, Kevin? Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a second here and look up where Junia is in the Bible because I know she's in Acts, but I can't remember the exact uh, scripture for it. Um, uh, uh, Romans, Romans sixteen seven. So uh, I'll 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 go through just real quick. Uh, basically, Paul is writing in Romans, and at, at you know, right here in chapter sixteen. He's kind of giving shout outs, <clears throat> ending, <clears throat> excuse me, he's he's closing out the letter. And he says, greet Andronicus and Junia, who are outstanding among the apostles. So he names two different people, Andronicus and Junia. Um, and he calls them both apostles. And, and an apostle, by definition, is somebody who has had direct interaction and direct discipleship from Jesus Christ. So Jonicus and Junia both knew Jesus. It's not that they came later. It's that they knew him directly. Um, and we know, although, although the gender of, of neither of them is ever mentioned, we know that Andronicus was a male because of the way his name is, is stated. Andronicus, that is a male ending to a Latin or Greek name. That's like you wouldn't name a girl Philip. It's is kind of the same uh, uh, a good comparison to today, right? <clears throat> and likewise with Junia, any name that ended with A or IA in this case mm-hmm. connotated a woman, and especially Junia, which is a derivative of the Roman goddess Juno who was um, uh, she she was the goddess who looked both to the past and to the present I believe uh, I, I can't remember exactly where she lined up in the whole hierarchy of everybody um, I think she was Jupiter's wife in the mythology but any point being that Juno was a very prominent goddess and Junia was a derivative of that name so a boy being called Junia would be very unusual. Um, again, to kind of put it into modern context, it'd be like a boy being called Brooklyn, right? Like, could it happen? Sure, it could happen because names are made up and nobody actually cares. Would it happen? Probably not. And that's been the historical reading for literally centuries is that Junia was a woman and she was an apostle and that's it. Like, why was she an apostle? I don't know. We don't know anything else about her. (laughs) Um, But all the scholarship, anybody worth their salt says, no, yeah, we can rightfully point to this as an example of a woman who was an apostle. Um, Unfortunately, about a month ago, there was an uh, an article released, I think, in Christianity Today, maybe I can't remember, where the author, who was a very conservative uh, man, was making the case that actually no, everybody else is wrong, and Junia was a man, and his entire uh, case for this, his entire like all his evidence, so to speak, was that. Only men were apostles. And so it doesn't matter what what Junia's name could have been. Doesn't matter that uh, it was a derivative of Juno. It didn't matter. Like, like none of that matters because only men were apostles. And so that has to mean that Junia was a man with just a very feminine name. Um, (laughs) He promptly got called an idiot (laughs) by, by a lot of people. Um, but of course there's, there's now a, a group of conservatives who are kind of taking that one article and saying, look, we're right. Only men can yeah, be apostles. Um, right, cause that's all, that's all it takes. Just, you know, one little shred. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just a tiny little bit of evidence. But I, I think for me, that's, that's one of those, um, instances of almost querying the Bible, like what we've been talking about mm-hmm. where 
yeah, we can go with the traditionalist conservative reading of whatever scripture we're looking at. Or we can actually ask, what if Junia really was a woman? How does that change our view of the church and of church leadership? How does that change our view of God? Um, Does that change our view of God? I mean, it shouldn't, but does it? (laughs) Right. And, and, kind of for me it's asking those questions and and unraveling that thread so that i can hopefully be more faithful to the scriptures yeah oh that's wild um yeah there's there's so many instances of of situations like that um where we just kind of assumed or we've even like gone back and applied over um things and you know kind of erased really important pieces and pass that down and say, oh, this is just the way it is. Um, like another, not to not to get off of that, because I think there's still a lot to unpack, but another example would be um, where Jesus has some specific conversations, some specific conversations about what, uh, about what, what it means to be a eunuch in the mm. Bible, because... You know, it's like, you know, he mentions like three different kinds of eunuchs, some by the some by their own choice, some by the the hands of man, which is what was very common for people to be just chosen as a eunuch, as a, chosen to be castrated so that they could be of this special service, uh, like to a king or something. Um, and then some are just that way. I think it was like some are, are are this way by birth. I should really just look this up. Some are this way by birth. Some of the some of this way, you know, by the hands of man. And then there was like this other one. And some people are called to this, you know, for the glory of God. And for so many people, that's a really important invitation for us to look at again to look at genders, to look at how God kind of honors mm-hmm. some different expressions of gender. Because a eunuch definitely had a non binary role within their society mm-hmm. um, and Jesus acknowledges that but then the rest of us in colonized specifically in colonized uh, theology erase that and don't make room for the ways that Jesus actually made room for there to be more than just two genders <laughs> and for anyone uh, listening who's wondering that's Matthew 19 verse 12. Uh, yes. Jesus speaking, he says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. <coughs> Excuse me, y'all. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. Right. That was it. Because uh, from, from, my, from my friends who are celibate or pursuing celibacy as a response to their spiritual convictions, um, that's kind of where they find hope is like, you know, some people are doing this for the kingdom and... I think the church should be way more supportive of that if we actually, if if churches are saying that marriage is only between one man and one woman, and that people who don't fall out of that, uh, who don't fall into that category should not ever have sex, then y'all need to be doing a much better job of supporting those who are eunuchs for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like, like, high key. Like you should have them in leadership and you should have them visibly uh, on stage and telling their stories and all these other things. Cause if you're not, mm-hmm. I think you're lying. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that, that's, that's my, my that's my little soapbox about um, if, if this is really about honoring the biblical traditions, then why isn't it, why isn't it more visible? Why isn't it more celebrated? Why is the only thing that we hear about, you know, about marriage and waiting till marriage and when once you get married and the only way you have a legacy is if you're married when the Bible had people like Jesus and Paul who, you know, we, to our knowledge, <laughs> they weren't people going around being married. So, yeah. yeah. But yet querying the scripture is this opportunity for us to look at all of these kinds of stories in historical contexts and... Um, really ask again the questions of what does this mean? Um, what does it mean for us? How do we apply this? How do we live this out? Um, and I, I think there's, I think there's, it's kind of a life-giving thing where we start to question, right? Like, 
we've seen so many people leave the church in the last few years, or at least leave evangelicalism in the last few years. Um, and everybody's like, well, everyone's deconstructing and everyone's leaving. And it was like, I, I think all of us need to do that. Right. Like, I, I question how good we're really believing if we've never asked these hard, deep, faith rocking questions, if we just yeah. have accepted everything that's handed to us. Mm-hmm. Is it the real, real thing? Or is it just like a, a social conditioning, you know? Do you think it's fear is why people don't question? I think everything's based on fear. Yeah. And a, a need to have a sense of, well, this need to have a sense of control is is fear. And then um, fear and frustration, I think, drive so much stuff. Like, it's frustrating not to be able to say you have all the certainty and all the answers. And so we just, you know make it work that we have all the answers so we can be certain and never have to be afraid and never have to live with ambiguity. But we miss so much. Because it's it's just interesting how tightly people hold to, well, this is biblical truth and I'm going to live out for truth and, but never question Mm -hmm. what they've been taught and like hold, you know, specifically to you know, demonize people, I, with lack of better words, but to, you know, call people out who are, you know, LGBTQ and just focus so heavily on that as, you know, it's sin and this is what the Bible says and this is biblical truth. And, but to me, I guess now that like I hear this stuff, I'm like, oh, it just makes sense. Like, because I was never told to question, like it's just what I was told to believe was sin. But now hearing you guys talk about it and just in, in other, some of our guests that we've heard just speak and just really look at scripture in a different light and this whole idea of queer in the scripture, it's like, yeah, like it, it makes sense. But it's also this, this thought that like, the Bible isn't as clear as people think it is, you know, and there's lots of really isn't nuance and context and just things. And, but it's like, is that okay? Like, or do people really struggle with the fact that the Bible has to be clear because then if it's not, what does that mean for their life? Yeah. And I've seen people argue as like, well, if, if you take away this or you take away that, or if you question that, then the whole thing falls apart and there's no point in believing anymore. And I'm like, oh no, that's not how my faith works at all. Like you can, I, re- I remember a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Gunger, the band got in trouble because they said that Noah's Ark wasn't a literal story. And yep, I was I like, that. I don't need that to be a literal story for me to have faith in God. Like, yeah, I don't need a lot of things to be literal retellings, especially since literal was not always how biblical stories were, were told. Um, I don't need it to be that for the faith that I have to be significant to me and to have impact and effect in my life. Right. But some people have learned that the only way that, that this works is if there's a God who's in heaven, who's going to damn everybody to hell if they don't comply with these rules and it's just like yeah no I I would do this even if hell doesn't and I don't personally believe that hell exists at least the way we portrayed it to be so it's like yeah I'm still in and no I don't I don't think hell works like that at all so so why are you still here (laughs) (laughs) like are you only here out of fear for real but then they say faith that you know some really hold to faith over fear (laughs) Which is a a whole lie, because if that's the case, then why are we still saying, um, why are we still advocating for gun rights? Oops. Oh, okay. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Whoopsies. (laughs) Here on on the Unfiltered podcast. (laughs) Have we ever been filtered? I know, right? It's like, do we know how to have a filter? I don't know. Mm. I feel like no. No, I was just having kind of a a very similar discussion, actually, with my dad. My, uh, My parents were in town. Uh, over the weekend, last weekend, and uh, my dad and I are sitting at a bar, and I can't remember how the conversation started, but we start talking about uh, really this. It starts off with this issue, 
with querying the scriptures, I shouldn't say issue, uh, but it start it started off with querying scriptures, and it got into um like interpretations of scripture and personal theology and like doctrine and everything. And something that he kept saying, and I'm going to paraphrase here because this was like a two hour long conversation. So, so bear with me. So I'm paraphrasing what he said here. Um, But he was saying that if I really was spiritually mature is what he said, then I would understand scripture the way he did. Oh, that move. And I just, I just straight up told him, I said, then you have become a Pharisee gatekeeping the way to heaven. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not gatekeeping the way to heaven. I'm just, I'm just saying that if you really understood the scriptures, then you would see it the way I do. And I said, no, no okay, then. So, so you are the one person, or let's call it your denomination. It's the one denomination who has it all 110% right. Forget about Methodists, forget about Lutherans, forget about Catholics, forget about Episcopalians, forget about Presbyterians. Forget about everybody else. Your denomination is the one who has the stronghold on heaven, and and you're the only ones who have it correct. Am I hearing you right? And he goes, well, well, that's what I believe. And I said, then you're a Pharisee, because that's what that ex- that's exactly what the Pharisees yeah. believed. Yeah. That's exactly what the Sadducees believed. That's what the Essenes believed. That's what the Zealots believed. That's why Jesus was so hated by them because he was looking at all of them saying, you don't have it right. And you don't have it right. And you think you've got it right, but you don't have it right. And I agree with you on this. And I agree with you on this. And I agree with you on this, but everything else is total crap. I said, that's why they plotted to kill him. That's why they were successful because he looked at all of them and said, you're so far off base. And he said, so what, you think, you think you've got it right? And I said, you're really, you're not listening to me because I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, none of us do. I'm telling you that I am still learning just like you are still learning. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how much you've been learning, you will never be spiritually mature. You will never be so, so wise and so knowledgeable that you, that you won't ever have to learn anything new again i said the the moment you think that is the moment you you fail is the moment that you start drawing away from god and what he came to was okay well what about you know we see jesus say that you will know them by their love and they will show you their fruit then what do you what do you say about that and i said then i have a question for you i said what what do you say I said, I have a friend, I have a very good friend who was a pastor and, and Darren, I was talking about you actually. Um, I said, he's a pastor. He's, he's one of the, one of the wisest, one of the most knowledgeable, most loving people I've ever met. He is leading people to Christ. He is, he is helping people to follow Jesus better and better, not just in his personal life, but at his church, at, at uh, places all over the country. He is helping people and you can see the fruit of his faith. You can see the things that he is doing and go, that is a man of God. He also happens to be gay. Is he not a Christian? And after stumbling around a little bit, my dad said, well, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know. He, he you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm imitating him and mm-hmm. kind of paraphrasing here. He goes, well, uh, I mean, I, you, you know, the Lord, the Lord no, only knows their, their hearts and, <laughs> and only God ways. knows. <laughs> right. And I go, okay, great. So you've got, you've got my friend who's a gay pastor doing great things. Now look at your own denomination who year after year for the last 30 years has reported record losses of members. So if we're going just by the fruit of works, my friend is more of a Christian and a better Christian than every single pastor in your denomination. And he was stunned. He couldn't answer that. Wow. Because at the end of the day... (laughs) When we start, when we start opening up our 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 minds and and our hearts to go the evangelical route, 
um, to what God truly can do, we start to see that, hey, the things that that Jesus talked about and that Paul said and that Peter wrote and that John preached, like we're seeing those things in very different ways than the heteronormative society that we live in tells us to expect. Yeah. And we can see that through scripture. We can see that through people's lives. We can see that through through the world around us that life doesn't work the exact way that we expect it to. But if we just allow God to work and if we just allow God to do what God's going to do, we'll be very pleasantly surprised, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's really powerful. I appreciate you you sharing that. And it does bring up for me the, the ways that I've been gaslit by churches, right, where um, they're saying, oh, if people knew you were a man of if people knew you were gay, they wouldn't see you as a man of God. Or people knew that you struggled with this or that you had an issue with that, that that you wouldn't, they wouldn't want you to be their leader. And today I'm very literally leading <laughs> from these places, the, mm-hmm. the very things that people shamed me and, and told me that, that I should be ashamed of um, are the places where I'm finding connection with people, with people who have been burned by the church, people who mm-hmm. have been kicked out, people who have been abandoned by families. that's my puppy y'all sorry right things to say right it's very protective i appreciate that um but where people yeah where the the unanswered questions are the place that we show up and start conversations and so forth and like you said that there is fruit that is being born um but because we had these narrow definitions of of what it looks like to be a good Christian that basically served a certain set of people who were able to often keep us deceived, right? Like, oh, it doesn't matter right. that the church is going down because we're more faithful. Yeah. It doesn't matter that that giving is down because, you know, we're just we're trusting God more than those churches that have a lot of money. Or, or you they know, blame like, the world as oh, the reason right. why people are not coming right. to church, or that's right. you know or the wars against or... yeah that you know people are just being of the world and not of the Lord and right, but not not it couldn't possibly be <laughs> the church's harm and pushing away of people right. and making people not feel safe and comfortable. It couldn't possibly be that. Right. It's it's too normal for me at this point for my friends to have very valid, real, tangible reasons why they don't want anything to do with an institutional church, yeah. but right. still have faith, still like still have some belief that there's something greater than themselves. They aren't, quote unquote, the center of their own universes. And it, even if they were like the fact that we're in the image and likeness of God and that God like put some bit of God self in us to like make us realize that we are more than just a random occurrence in the middle of the universe. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I think where we get into trouble a lot of times in the church is being so certain of our beliefs and like everybody, like churches will say, well, the Bible clearly says, well, yeah, but you're misinterpreting what it's saying. Or maybe it's not that clear because the authors, the people that have written it, have changed it. And the the people that have, or they made it, not changed it, but they wrote it based on their like perception of how it should have been written. If you have an author that is misogynist and patriarchal, then that's how it's going to come across. So, and then you have all these translations down the road and then, huh, like, what was it? 50 years ago or so was when they, what was it? Was it Yale? I read an article just the other day about it, about how some uh, Bible translators uh, at Yale totally like reconfigured some of the words. So, you know, it changed the meanings. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh. Oh, well, look at that. So 
but I feel like it's it's just that whole certainty thing. Like I think Peter Enns refers to it as the sin of certainty. Mm-hmm. When you have such strong beliefs and you like, I know I'm right about this. That's where we get into trouble. Like if you can sit back and just say, you know what? I really don't know for sure. But I know like if you believe that God exists and you believe that Jesus, you know, is a good person or however you choose to view him. It's like, it's about love. That's the whole gist of the whole thing is that this is all about love. And beyond that, you know what? It doesn't really matter how right or wrong I am about something. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. (laughs) <laughs> sorry i i unmuted just in time just in for time him to, for him to bark um again this is an eight month old puppy we've had for a week and a half he's very very oh, needy oh okay we, i was like i wonder why this dog isn't very familiar to me because it's no, only been yeah. a week and a half yeah it's it's we got him we adopted this is him. our new podcast this member is, <laughs> he's the fifth co-host um no i was i was gonna say something i brought up to to my dad last last week when we were talking um because he came because he came at me with so you don't believe in in the inerrancy of the bible (laughs) um and if you're unfamiliar with that term inerrancy means that there is no error in the bible that that everything the bible says is 100 not just spiritually true but also factually scientifically true um and i said why would i and translations and he, don't matter either. Right. And, and I said, why, why would I believe that? And he goes, well, because Paul himself says that, that all scripture is, is God inspired and, and breathed by the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, are, are you and I made in the image of God? And he goes, of course. I said, We're, did, did we have the breath of life breathed into us by the Holy Spirit? And he goes, well, of course. And I said, so then why aren't we perfect? I mean, if we're <laughs> being made in the image of is a lot, a lot more uh, important and, and significant than being inspired by, isn't it? And he thinks for a second and he goes, where are you going with this? <laughs> and I said, why answer the question? Why aren't we perfect? And he goes, well, because of sin. And I said, so then why? If the Bible is simply inspired by God, why would I believe that the Bible is perfect? And he goes, well, because it's God's word. I said, okay, so we've now made the Bible into the fourth aspect of the Trinity <laughs> as, as laid out in John chapter one. And he goes, no, no, no. The Bible is, is just a book. It's not a member of the Trinity. And I go, that's the point. Only God is perfect. Mm-hmm. If, if, if we're going to go down this route, only God is perfect. Only God, o- only Jesus is the word of God, right? As laid out by John in John chapter one. So then why would I believe that this book, which is neither God nor Jesus, is perfect? And again, that was that was another thing that he just didn't have an answer for. He just said, I don't I don't know about that. I don't I, I mean I haven't thought it through that way. And I said, right. So from from my point of view, you're the I mean, all the answers you've given me so far are I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So from my point of view, you're the spiritually immature one. You're the one who doesn't know. <laughs> Not, not you having a gotcha moment with your dad. Right. I know. He didn't like that all that much. Yeah, that probably didn't go over all that right. Right. I mean, he he wasn't mad. We were both a little tipsy. It was fine. Um, but yeah, he he definitely did not like did not like that that all that much. Yeah. I, th- I think there's such an opportunity here too to uh, to kind of think about the ways that. Um, the people who have been traditionally excluded, um, their voices, their interpretations, and so forth, also get obscured and hidden and invalidated. Like right now, there, there's all this hubbub and 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 discussion about uh, 
critical race theory. Um, and we don't even acknowledge the fact that most of this objection is just because people don't want another way, another lens to be presented. Mm -hmm. Um, and they feel threatened by it, but it's just like, yeah, there've been black scholars. There've been, been, uh, women who are, are scholars. There've been, um, like so much that's come out of South America, um, in Latin A, uh, scholarship and theology that has literally changed the world, that has borne powerful and, and wonderful God-honoring fruit. But because it wasn't by European men, we did not acknowledge it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we didn't hear it. So many people have never even studied scholars that aren't of European descent. Right. And so we don't realize how many assumptions and presumptions come with it. Um, uh, um, oh, now I've got to look, look, look it up. But there was... There was so many um, ways. Ah, I, I, six different thoughts came up at the same time. And I'm like trying to Google and not make it obvious <laughs> that I'm typing at the same time. Um, there are so many ways that we are missing out on the stories because we've only heard them from one perspective, from one tradition. And if you look at the way indigenous uh, Native Americans will read scripture, it is often... There, uh, there's a different focus. There's a different thing that's seen. Um, I often saw, cite my friend um, Austin um, Hartke, who, when he reads scripture as a trans man, he sees things like, I, I just love saying it, you know, people look at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And to see him see God as him, even though the outward appearance was assigned female at birth, like, it's like, yes, like, how profound is that when we look at it, instead of presuming a cisgender lens for these scriptures and go, oh, no, God wasn't talking about gender. It was like, well, why not? Like, literally, they knew enough to take take the liberation scriptures out of the Bible and then to give that version of the Bible to enslaved people. And the enslaved people still saw the liberation story, even though books and parts have been omitted, they could still see God working. So why do we believe God can't work and speak to trans folks, even though some people didn't have, some people would say that there wasn't a, a concept of, of transness, but we definitely see pre, pre-colonial times had lots of expressions of gender and lots of categories of gender that don't fit neatly into a male, female, female binary. And it's just like, if, if that, if that was always true, if that's always been there, and that's been taken away from us. Like, how much more are we missing? How much more right. rich, richness mm. is there to be discovered and to to live into? The decolonization piece mm-hmm. is really when you really start looking at like that. That was the for me understanding how Native Americans viewed genders mm-hmm. and knowing that 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 was that was the thought and prior to colonization so there it's like we've believed that there have been more genders longer than we've believed that there have only been the binary mm. so it it really does make you look at it from a different lens and just question all this new information that came over during colonization and the way that the Bible and Christianity and things like that were presented to people changing many things that people believed, even just other spiritual practices that are now, you know, considered um, demonic and bad and wrong. When you can look at a lot of these like practices and a lot of the things align with what is said in some scriptures or what, just things that people practice and appropriate now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we want to really be real, like, that part, that part. you know, but it's, yeah, it just really, there's just the difference of perspective when you said, what else are we missing? And I find myself with that curiosity, like no longer fearing it. Like it used to mm-hmm. just be really, really like, af- like I used to just be afraid of the thought that like, 
oh my gosh, like everything that I thought was, is not true. And and that's not necessarily the case. That's not everything, but there's, there is like liberation and freedom and just, and really like a beauty in seeing God differently mm-hmm. and getting to explore for myself who God really is and who I am. Yeah. Despite what people have told me that I, I am or should be based on being a Christian. Right. Well, and something that I, I, I think I cut you off, Darren. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I mean, I, I was going, well, let me rephrase it. So what you're saying also makes me think about um, a, a quote from Erna Kim Hackett, who talks about uh, white Christianity suffering from Disney princess theology. Oh, and, I love that. I right? love this, this has been getting that. passed around with somebody else's name on it, but this is this is Arna. This is this, she is she said what she said, and in short, she says each and in, each individual reads scripture as they see as each sorry as each individual reads scripture they see themselves as the princesses in every story. They are Esther, n- never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, never Judas. They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. For citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people to see mm-hmm. itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And this, like this, this, this is it. Like mm-hmm. the fact that we are so used to always seeing ourselves as the protagonists, and we very literally are seeing people do this with with Israel right now. We're seeing people do the same kind of thing where it, we never look at our our power, our influence, our privilege. Um, we just keep seeing ourselves as as the good as quote unquote the good guys, yeah. um, and missing out on what it means to to another uh, term to look up is theology from below to look at what are the oppressed people seeing in scripture and um, learning from that, uh, you know, cause it does mean that you're going to listen to, to voices of women. You're going to listen to voices of immigrants. You're going to listen to voices of enslaved people and see what they're finding in there. Cause it's going to be very different. And it's so important to, to actually see this bigger picture. Cause God, God's divinity is in all of us. And if that's the case, then we can't have the full picture of God without having everyone's voices at the table. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Amen and hallelujah, brother. <laughs> I think too, like it, the colonization piece of it is like we're the white saviors we're coming in we're the good christians we're coming in and we're going to save the world from all the evil going on in the world mm-hmm. meanwhile meanwhile <laughs> it's it, nothing but destruction right in other countries. they're the ones bringing in the pain and the oppression on these people you know and it just and the same things happens i see it if you take a missions trip or whatever into a third world country, what are we doing? We're trying to make them like us, you know, like the white people, like Westerners. And I feel like, you know, that's, it's not being respectful at all of their culture, their own beliefs and so forth. And again, I think it, I feel it goes back to that certainty, that sin of certainty, like Mm -hmm. that Christianity is it. It is the only way to live. It's, and I feel like it's that whole white savior mentality that we have going on, at least within white people, you know, like me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, manifest destiny. This was, this was, this was like, you know, we scream up and down about separation of church and state, but manifest destiny is still informing the way we even yeah. have these conversations, like the fact that we as Americans collectively have, have and, you know, other quote unquote world powers have said, oh, this is a those are third world countries or they're developing countries. Can we talk about the history of like literally raping them for all of their resources and all the things right. that built the wealth that that are the first world countries? None of the first world countries 
are wealthy because of their own means. It's all mm. because of stolen labor and stolen yep. resources. So, sto- no, let me say it better. Stolen humans <laughs> mm. and stolen resources from the lands that are not where these countries are. Right. And then we say, oh, but we need to we need to now help those those struggling countries. It's like, no, yeah, we do because we messed them up. Right. But yeah. we don't tell that part of the story to ourselves because right. we're yeah. the we're the saviors. And it doesn't matter if we created the problem as long as we're the saviors. Mm-hmm. Yay. Do a little whistle well, while you work. It's, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to be the savior. That's that's the problem. Right. Oh. Is that it has a chill. It is fun to to be the savior and it's fun to be the hero in the story. And we we get uncomfortable when we sympathize with the villain, right? We get uncomfortable whenever we we're watching a movie and we go, well, hold on. The the bad guy actually kind of has a point. And we, and we feel bad because it's, it's Batman versus whoever. And we're like, well, well, no. Why? Why doesn't Batman do what the villain's saying? Like, what? <laughs> Wait a second. There's something wrong here, and that makes us uncomfortable. And then, even more so, when when we put together the idolatry that is nationalism, the idolatry that is that is the church as a whole. Like, holy shit! Western Christianity is is an idol to so yeah. many people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the the way that we were, I talked about, I, I preached at my church last week and, and I talked about this with like, with kinder words, but <laughs> you, you didn't say they were full of shit. I did not say that they were full of shit. I, I didn't say that they were idolatrous. I did say that they were putting things before God. So, you know, if they were listening, they, they, they figured it out. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. But Hey, I got a lot of good, good compliments on it. No, but the way that we go about our worship services, like, like just to begin with, we've got to have this and we've got to have that. And we've got to do this and that and the other. And, and it's not worship if we don't have those things. Well, wait a second. <laughs> where, where, where is that in the Bible? Right. And then we, we go forth from there into Darren, what you were just saying, the, the manifest destiny of everything else where we really do start reading into the scriptures and we start putting our own opinions into what we want the Bible to say, because what we want the Bible to say is a heck of a lot more um, comfortable than what it actually says. And what it actually says, we've said it before, isn't always all that clear. There's really one thing in the Bible that's clear, and that's that Jesus, the Son of God, came, lived, <laughs> loved. And like people even even have issues with that. I was gonna say the 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 the, the creeds all have some disagreements with each other. Right. And they and folks have been fighting about this for literal thousands of years. Right. <laughs> we we can't even agree on on the simplest, most basic tenet. <laughs> of our faith and we have the audacity to sit here and go but the bible's clear on on gay marriage (laughs) no it's not i had somebody ask me a couple couple months ago um she said why you know in in this in this passage where jesus is talking about divorce um he only it's it's in matthew he only addresses men marrying a woman and and getting divorced from a woman and that's obvious just obvious proof that that jesus just didn't didn't even allow gay marriage and i'm like no no you're reading into that Mm -hmm. because the culture of the time didn't have like like they didn't have and understand homosexuality and queerness in general as we do today so no matter who you like to have sex with, you married a woman, period. And in you, right, in you, you were in a herod, <laughs> right, right. You were in a heteronormative marriage, period. No matter who you like to sleep with, you still had to have children. And it's centered on the man. 
it's still centered on them because like like if that's the case jesus didn't say that women could get divorced either <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so what do, what do we do with that <laughs> what do we do with that right and and again we start reading into scripture things that aren't there to help us justify like you said raping the land and the people and and then two three four five hundred years later turning around and going Oh, look at look at those poor, poor Mexicans and Guatemalans and Hondurans. We have to help them. Well, yeah, you've got to you've got to fix the shit that you started. Oh, I just heard. Is it was it about Guatemala and the 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 fruit company that basically uh, it was an American fruit company in mm. Guatemala that owned more than half the land there. And so they basically enlisted the U S government to, to overthrow the, the democratically elected leader so that they could continue. Do, do, you, do you, do you want me to tell you the story? I am Guatemalan. I do. <laughs> I was trying to remember it and you were supposed to jump in and be like, Oh, yes, sorry, 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 you. sorry. Yeah. So, so I'll, whatever. Yeah. So the United fruit company, um, they, they set up shop in the early 1900s in Guatemala, in Central America, several countries in Central America, but Guatemala is kind of the, the focus of, of the whole thing. Um, they set up shop down there and they were doing fine. They were doing, they were doing business as usual, I guess, um, being fairly successful. And then Guatemala came uh, a, a newly democratically elected president um, in Guatemala decided that he didn't want foreign companies essentially owning so much land. And yeah, they owned something like half of the farmland in Guatemala and same story. They were exploiting the land. They were exploiting labor. Mm -hmm. And so when this president said, Hey, we're going to buy back the way that any sovereign nation has the right to do. We're going to buy back the land that you're using and use it for our purposes. The United Fruit Company president, I guess board of directors, planted evidence that that president of Guatemala was in cahoots with the Soviet Union. And so in doing so, they took this so-called evidence to the CIA and the CIA said, oh, great, we have another communist on, on our in America, in the Western Hemisphere, and we've got to get rid of him. So they staged a coup. They they overthrew this president. They threw him in jail for life. Nobody, I mean, you know, we can, he died in prison, but nobody really knows where he went for the next 20, 30 years. Um, and they put their own guy into power who sold even more land to the United Fruit Company until eventually they decided that, hey, we don't have any more money to make here in Guatemala. We we've exploited the land as much as we can. The banana that the particular crop of banana that we were growing is going extinct and we're we just we can't do anything else with the land. So they sold the land overvalued um, to to extremely poor farmers and created an, a, a system of indentured servitude all over again. Um, which eventually the Guatemalan government bought them out of because, you know, you can't have a bunch of people essentially working for a foreign nation's company. Um, yeah, no, they, they fucked over Guatemala. And like I said, all of Central America pretty well. Uh, they weren't the last one. They weren't the first ones, of course. They weren't the last ones. Uh, the United Kingdom did something very similar in the 1980s, I believe. Yeah, 1980s. They did something very similar to Guatemala. Uh, the United States continues doing the same thing. Um, and all the while coming back and saying, hey, you're a very poor country and you're very unfortunate. Let us help you. Let us help you get on your feet. Let us teach you the ways of, of the first world. And it, they're they're all full of shit. <laughs> mm. 
Did I run everybody off? Is that is that what happened here? No, I was. No, that's just. Um, I'm. It's like I'm speechless, but I'm also not surprised. Right. Because. Yeah. 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 We have a track would, record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. We we have this well established track record and all yeah. kinds of like insider trading, like so many people who were involved in the leadership and influencing the president uh, on that on that particular story were board members and shareholders of the of the fruit company yep like <laughs> yep and 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 you you can find so many american history stories that are literally tied back to our lust for profit and mm-hmm. complete power hunger to just do whatever we want and call ourselves the heroes right to say Oh, we fight all these wars about in oil-rich countries because democracy. Really? (laughs) Is that so? (laughs) We just so happen to get the sole rights to mining their oil fields. It's just, it's a coincidence, I promise. It's a winky dink That's all. How long have we been in Afghanistan? Forever. Too long. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But again like it's i i just appreciate this opportunity to to look at our lenses and to look back and to to ask does it really have to be this way mm. um so many of our our justice struggles everything from like just in the US um things like labor rights things like child labor laws things like women's voting rights like all of these were built from the people from below um uniting and using the power that they had to question the the status quo, to question what what we know or what we assume to be true or assume to be normal, um, and so like in a month like Pride Month, in the first year that we have Juneteenth as a as a federal holiday, there's so much to unpack there. Um, there is this reminder that all of these things have been the work, the blood, the sweat, the tears of people who were excluded, of people who who still to this day are often written out of the history narratives and we just focus mm. on certain people um, and their impact that they had. But, but yeah, like there's so much to, so much to happen when we look back through fresh lenses and fresh eyes and, and we take a month like pride month and, um, and look back and, and see, Oh, this reminds me of a story. Do y'all know, y'all know the story of how pride started? the pride parades and all that it was uh i would love it was a uh it was a trans woman was it not a trans Mm -hmm. woman of color yeah Mm -hmm. two um marcia uh marcia johnson yes marcia johnson and uh rivera Um, i'm trying to think of her name right now these are i'm i'm good with stories i'm not great with names um and I can visually see the picture like that I saw like of them, but Sylvia Rivera, Marsha Johnson and Sylvia, Sylvia Rivera. Rivera. Um, so uh, a black trans woman and a Latina t- trans woman, um, which even at the time they wouldn't necessarily use those words, but later in life for sure. Um, and we we have this story of them just questioning, wait, why why are we forever hiding from police? Why are we letting them do these raids on us? Why why are we having our rights denied? Um, and they they launched a very public thing when they just re- resisted arrest. Um, but this this builds on so much. Um, two things that that just stand out to me about this were one that. Um, that the respectable gays of the time were very upset about the riots. They left notes. There's some notes that we have archived of them saying, well, this isn't the way to get our rights. This isn't the way to make change happen. Mm. Sounds very familiar, right? Um, That as these, as this uprising went on for several days in this uh, relatively poor part of town where there were artists and queer folks and, and so forth um, that they were saying, no, don't, don't do it this way. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you can hear these fireworks that are going off because clearly everyone's so patriotic that sarcasm. Oh, I've been wondering what, <laughs> like, what you're banging around in there. Yeah, it is. It is. They were so going off earlier annoying. here too. Um, but yeah, so, so 
so they they kicked off this uprising that was kind of at the center of of several other things that were happening. Everything from um, people being kind of dissatisfied with what was happening uh, following the wars to people seeing what was happening with civil rights unrest um, to all these the roles of women changing in the home. All this was kind of happening at the same time. Uh, and I think this was 1969. And so there was just a general unrest in the society. And then they had this very routine uh, raid happen at this at this queer bar. And so when they resisted, like it, it sparked the the dissatisfaction of so many people that that people that was kind of in the atmosphere, and it caught the attention of so many people. Um, but the the follow up to this, the the really important piece is the reason we have pride parades today is a direct um, is a direct uh, salute to. Um, what was outlawed back then. So this uprising happened and the fall and, and some people died. Um, and the following year, there was a protest slash memorial march that was planned. And this was a protest because there were laws that existed that said you as you know, you had to you had to be wearing at least, I think, three articles of clothing that were assigned to your gender at birth. Um, and if not, you were somehow in violation of the law or things like if you bought a drink for somebody of the same gender, then you were, you were, uh, prostituting was basically the charge, um, or propositioning. And so this march was intentionally flamboyant, intentionally over the top. It was intentionally breaking unjust laws so that it could show how ridiculous the laws were. Because to 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 walk down the street wearing a pink wig or to walk down the street as a man who's identifying as a man wearing a dress, that was illegal. And they they honored the lives of the people who died in the uprising by marching every year on the last Sunday in June. That was the year that the or that commemorates when the uh, uprising originally happened. And so it was a memorial march, and it was intentionally flamboyant on purpose to honor and to challenge the laws. But, you know, time goes on, and we kind of get away from the original history, and it just becomes this all-out party and drinking fest or whatever. Um, but it's, uh, I, 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 it's important for me to explain that story to so many people because they only see what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And they use the lens that they have right now to say, oh, well, that's just about sin and celebrating sin and, and pride is a sin and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, 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 no. That's that's what happens when we don't actually listen and we don't hear the histories and we don't listen to people who are part of the group instead of only listening to people from the outside talking in. Mm-hmm. Listen to the queer people who were there, who survived this thing, and find out why they made the choices that they made and see that there was actually a lot of honor and dignity in walking down the street wearing a dress or a tutu. There was a lot of honor and dignity in choosing to to have very, like, over-the-top makeup because they people had given their lives to make that possible. And so to honor them is to show up and to to queer these uh, demands of what respectable society is and to, to really ask the question, who is worthy of respect? Who mm-hmm. is worthy of pr- protection under the law? Who is worthy of the ability to, to have agency to choose what, you know, to choose what they're going to do with their lives? Um, and we miss that because we just want to focus on, oh, there's another guy in a tutu. And it's just like, there's so much richness here. There's so much goodness here. Um, and so in the same way, uh, and, you know, I guess we'll bring it to a close in the same way, when we listen to the stories of queer people who are contemporary, you know, I've had several friends come on and share their stories and um, had people share the things that are going on with them right now, where uh, Jarrell talked about not being able to be ordained because his denomination or their denomination hasn't settled on ordaining them, even though they've done all the processes and they've been faithful to all the teachings. Um, but because they're saying, oh, well, you're gay and we haven't decided about your worthiness yet. Or um, 
just to to hear the different stories of us like showing up at Make Love Louder at the Pride Parade to say, no, there's Christians here who, are, who are, are condemning everybody they can find to hell and being horrible examples of what it means to be a Christian. We're going to show up and literally embody love because love really is 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 important to us, unlike some people who grab bullhorns and get on ladders and paint really horrendous signs about who God hates. Um, and so it's it was just this opportunity for us to look at all these stories and to think about what what has happened in our individual lives and what's happening collectively and to just kind of dream about a future um, where gender and sexuality aren't the hot button topics. Um, I remember the first time kind of coming to my church and just realizing I'm normal here. Mm-hmm. I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to, I don't have to be a, an elder conversation. I don't have to get special approval from the board. I don't have to, 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 to degender my stories of where God has shown up for me, whether that's through a, a through a guy that I dated or, or you know, uh, some other situation. It's just like I can just be my whole self the way that lots of other people have had the chance to be the whole time. And also in learning that when I show up as my whole self, it gives permission for other people to be their whole selves. And you know, like there's, it's so much, so much goodness happens when we realize that we don't all have to live up to being someone else. We can live up to being ourselves created fully in the image and likeness of God. Um, and that means that the ways we read scripture are important and they matter. That it means that it, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to have a seminary degree or you don't have to have written 16 papers about it. You know, God is speaking to you too, where um, you may have been counted out and excluded for years um but god is including you because god's been doing that all through the scriptures you know like there's all kinds of ways that we can that we can see and challenge these narratives um and just open up to something greater uh something important but um yeah so i appreciate the opportunity to kind of share on uh on this month or this pride month of 2021 um, after a year of utter chaos. <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to the ways that, like, on this podcast, we continue to elevate stories and um, and sit with uncomfortable stuff and not have all the answers. My God, we yes. have answers. But, uh, but, yeah, we appreciate you tuning in to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. Um, as always, give us those five-star ratings. Share the link with your friend. Um Ask us questions. I don't think we can get enough uh, Gmail yet, so or get enough mail in our Gmail account. So the CLR podcast at gmail.com. Um, ask us questions. Just tell us what you thought. Um, or visit, visit us on our Facebook page um, or on Twitter. Um, but either way, we appreciate you tuning in and listening as we just ponder life and hopefully uh, prompt you to do some more thinking, too. Um, and so see you next time. And... Uh, That's it for tonight. That's it for tonight. (laughs) Everybody's listening at five o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, (laughs) That's it for this morning. Right.